Well, good morning. Or good afternoon or good evening, wherever you happen to be. How many of you would rather be here than in the best blizzard in America? How many of you are just glad to be here? All right, good. Now, I don't mean to make light of that, but there are some advantages, hurricanes uh, notwithstanding, to being, being here in the southeast. Well, uh, we want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from an off-site campus or uh, maybe in the warehouse or the chapel, uh, or especially this weekend, we want to welcome Freedom Church from Monk's Corner, who is joining us for this series. Uh, also, uh, Thousand Hills Church in uh, the Netherlands that are joining us for the series, and various churches around the country and around the world. We're glad that you guys are along, too. Let me ask you a question as we begin. Um, how many of you have, have ever been in a really big hurry and done something very stupid? Anybody? Okay. Oh, that's everybody. Okay. Uh, how recently? How recently? Yeah, I've got one from just two hours ago. Uh, so, so I'm getting ready to go to church, and I've got my uh, I've got my iPad, I've got my phone, I'm juggling two or three things, and I go to get in my car. Now, how many of you have keys with a little red button on it? Anybody have keys with a little red button? It says panic on it, and what that means is that when you hit that button, you start panicking. Okay, so apparently, inadvertently, as I got into the car, I hit the red button. And so bright and early on a Sunday morning, my car's going beep, 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 and I'm hitting every button I can and nothing's going off. So I hit the panic button, and that's when my car actually started beeping because it was my wife's car that I had hit earlier. <laughs> and, so, and so now you've got beep, 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 beep. And I felt terrible until I happened to think, you know, those are like church bells on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and my neighbors should be going to church anyway, right? Unless they went on Saturday night. So anyway, well, that's kind of funny, and it's not a big deal uh, when it comes to you know, things like that. But it is a bigger deal when it comes to more critical issues in life. When you don't have time to do the things that are important, or maybe you do things that you wouldn't normally do because you're squeezed by time. Uh, a couple of professors at Princeton Theological Seminary a few years ago did a study, and uh, what they wanted to do is they wanted to find out who, what type of person is more likely to help during a time of emergency. So what they did is they recruited a bunch of uh, theological students, and uh, they came from various religious backgrounds, uh, and also various kind of fervor for God and expressed in different ways. They were very careful about how they selected. And then they divided them without the students knowing this into two groups. One group, they set up a scenario that looked like this. You are in a certain place right now. We want you to go across the campus to a building where there's a group of people waiting to hear a talk from you. And half of them, they divided, uh, they divided half. One half uh, was going to give a talk about um, how to get a job while you're in seminary. And the other half, they said, your responsibility, and remember, they didn't do this in a group setting, they did it individually. They said, your responsibility is to give a talk on the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story, right? The guy on the side of the road and who stopped and who didn't. And so those were their two assignments. Then they also gave varying uh, degrees of, um, of intensity to it or urgency to it. For some of them, they said, okay, um, you're late. 
So you need to hurry and get over there. You know, you're, if, if you'll really hustle, you'll get there just about in time. Another group, they said, uh, you know, if you'll just leave right now, you'll probably be about right, so go ahead and leave, it's time. And third group, they said, uh, you know, you're going to have to, uh, you actually have probably 15 or 20 minutes, but why don't you go ahead so you can get set up and prepared once you got there. So that's the scenario. Now, what the students didn't know is that they all would walk through the same path, and they'd go through an alley, and the professors had planted a guy laying in the alley, moaning, kind of like the guy in the Good Samaritan story, okay? And what they wanted to find out was, who would stop to help him? Now, here's what's interesting. 40%, 4 out of 10, stopped to help. But their religious background had absolutely nothing to do with who stopped and who didn't. And listen to this. Whether or not they were giving a talk on the Good Samaritan story had nothing to do with whether they stopped or not. In fact, I think it was, I've got the numbers, I think they're on your outline sheet. Um, it broke down like this. Uh, 60, uh, 63% of those in low hurry situations stopped. Those that they said, you know, you got a little bit of time, so go ahead and leave. 63% of them did. in medium hurry situations stopped. You better go. You got enough time, but you need to get there. 10% of those in high hurry situations stopped. Ironically, a person in a hurry is less likely to help people, even if he's going to speak on the parable of the Good Samaritan, for goodness sakes. So what does that say? The number one predictor of right behavior is not religious background, it's not current religious beliefs. It's not even task. It's margin. Ethics become a luxury as the speed of our daily lives increase. I'm going to put it like this for the series. If you don't have space, you won't have grace. Would you agree most people wish they had more time and more margin for what's important in their life? And so what we're going to do is we're in a series called Make Room. And we're going to talk about creating space for the important things in our life. Next week, we're going to talk about creating space for relationships. And then we're going to talk about creating space for self-care, for rest. And we'll talk about uh, creating space for generosity and for mission. But today, I want to talk about making room for God. It's kind of the foundation of everything. Uh, Most of us would probably say that God is a high priority in our life. I mean, you're here on a weekend in church, and so you'd probably say God's uh, uh, high priority, maybe number one, should be number one. But the challenge is really expressing that in our day-to-day life because we can't see God, we can't smell God, we really can't feel God in tangible ways. And so sometimes God kind of gets pushed to the margins and gets kind of the leftovers in our lives. How do, you, how do you make room? How do you make space for God? So for the next six weeks on the weekend, we're going to study uh, an obscure story from the Old Testament. Uh, some of you may know it. Most of you probably don't. story of a prophet named Elisha and a Shunammite woman. And um, we want to encourage everybody in our church to be a part of a group, a small group, two, three 10, 15 people, uh, who will uh, commit for the next six weeks just to, you know, in a coffee house or 
in a living room somewhere to sit down and, and talk about what we're going to learn and make practical applications about what we're going to learn uh, on the weekend. Now, if, if you uh, agreed to host a group or you're going to be in a group, uh, we've got uh, f- free material for all of you uh, following the service in any of the campuses where you're at in the foyer. Just, just go on out and take some, and we're going to take a ride uh, together. So I think it's going to be great. So what I want to do is I want to look at the beginning of the story of Elisha and the Shunammite woman that's found in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. And we're going to read from verses 8 through 10, and we're just going to take the first three scriptures and kind of lay a foundation today for making room for God, okay? So if you have a Bible, you can follow along, or if you've got a, you know, on your phone or, or the outline sheet or even on the screen. I'm going to read it. One day, Elisha went to the town of Shunem, and a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp. And then he'll have a place to stay whenever he comes by. So that's kind of the beginning of the story. Kind of introduces the major characters that we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. Let me give you some background on some of the characters. First one is Elisha. Elisha is the holy man. He is a prophet of God. What he does is he speaks for God. If you want to know what God is saying, then you got to find a holy man because he's the one that speaks. Now, today, in the age that we live in, if you want to inquire of God, there are several ways to do it. You can go directly to the Lord in prayer. We did a whole series about that uh, just previous to this series. You, you can talk to God. In fact, he invites you to. Uh, or you can open God's word, the Bible, and it's God's word to you, and he speaks to you through the Bible. Or you can do what you've done today. You can go to church, listen to a holy man. <laughs> well, sometimes. Uh, you can listen to a pastor who will talk to you, and sometimes God speaks through that. Or you can listen to a podcast. There are a number of ways to hear. None of those are available options during a time in 2 Kings chapter 4 when we're reading here. The town of Shunem is in the Jezreel Valley at the bottom of Mount Carmel. I went there a year ago when we went to Israel. It's in the northern kingdom of Israel. And technically, kind of connecting with God or religious services are, are, are conducted in Jerusalem. This is a long ways from Jerusalem. And, and God lives at that point in a temple that uh, Solomon built in the Holy of Holies is kind of where God hangs out. Three times a year, uh, all the men in Israel are supposed to go to Jerusalem and pay homage to God. And that's about the only contact really they have with the Holy God other than a roaming prophet. Women really uh, have very little access to God at that particular time. And that's what's cool about Jesus is that Jesus, um, when he was crucified, the veil in the temple between the Holy of Holies and everybody else was torn, signifying that there is a democratization of spirituality. There's a democratization of a relationship with God. We all have equal access now to God through Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and he lives inside of us. But in those days, that's not the case. 
Holy Spirit uh, kind of anoints certain individuals. And if you want to hear from God, about your only chance is through a prophet who might be wandering through. And there was a prophet named Elisha that came through the town of Shunem. And the other character that we get right away is a wealthy woman who wants access to God. Interesting. In that, uh, depending on which version of the Bible you read, uh, some of them uh, seem to indicate wealth. Others indicate more power. She was a very powerful, wealthy woman. She had what most people aspire to. And yet there is a need for her inside for more. She wants to make room for God. See, what about you? You may be, you know, at the very beginning of kind of your earning power, or you may have gone away, and, and other people may look at you, and they see, at least outwardly, the trappings in what you drive, where you live, how you dress of, of success. And that's okay. But here's what I want to ask you. Have you gotten to the point yet where you realize that it's not enough? Because if you have it, you will. And the quicker you get there, the better your quality of life is going to be. Because I don't care how much you have, it doesn't fill this place that's intended for God. And I'm not just talking about, you know, coming to God and being saved for the first time or whatever. No, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about life as a whole. There are, churches are full of Christians who are still kind of such in pursuit of success and wealth and power that they put God to the margins in the corners of their life. And at some point, something happens where you realize that this isn't enough and it's never going to be. And that's where she was. And so I want to challenge you, um, if that's where you are or if you're not there yet, hey, this would be a great time just to go, listen, I'm going to give up. Doesn't mean that the pursuit of good things is bad, not at all, if in its right place. But I want to challenge you today to kind of look at your own life and say, how can I make space for God? How can I make space for the creator of the universe, the one who says that if you seek me first, that I'll add all of the things that you need for life. The things that other people pursue, I'll give them to you. How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, let's take a look at this story and see what we can learn from a Shunammite woman about making room for God. Uh, we're going to have um, three ideas because God always speaks in what? Threes at Seacoast. Always in threes. Except, except this. Listen, when you gather in your groups, there's a DVD, there's a, a workbook with all kinds of cool pictures, and then there's a, there's a DVD, and in the DVD, in, in today's lesson, I happen to know this because I taught it, there's only two points. You've got to make up the third one, so you, you better be good, all right? So there's three today and two when, when, when you're in your group. All right, here, here's what we learn from the Shunammite woman. The first thing is this. Making room for God begins with an invitation. It begins with an invitation. In the scriptures, it says, she urged him to come to her home for a meal. As I was reading that scripture, I, I was thinking about this scenario. How did that whole thing happen? Here's a, here's a wealthy lady in her house. There's a, a prophet 
that apparently comes through town at periodic times. And she tracked him down, and then she made, it, made an invitation. She urged him to come to her home for a, a meal. Now, how'd that happen? If you're married, or you're dating someone, or maybe in business, you want to make a business contact, you know how that works. Listen, when I first, when I first noticed Debbie and decided, this is what I want to pursue, I want to urge her to have a meal with me, she was absolutely amazed at how many times our paths crossed. <laughs> she goes, can you believe that we're at the same place so many times? And I go, what a coincidence. It must be God, you know. <laughs> what was it? I studied her. <laughs> I studied her movements, her actions, and made sure I was where she was going to be because I wasn't going to get the girl if I wasn't in the same place, right? Now, today we call that stalking, but it was okay. <laughs> it was okay back in the day, right? <laughs> so this woman, she went to where the prophet was likely to be, and she made an invitation kind of stalked him a little bit. So, so I'll, I'll encourage you, in our, as we're pursuing God in this pursuit of God, making room for God, why don't you stalk him just a little bit? Why don't you go, why don't you decide that you're going to go where God's likely to be? Now, you've done that today, okay? Because God, I, I know, I know, I know, I know that God is inside of us and that he is wherever we are. But we experience a certain sense of God's presence in certain places, and this is one of them. Let me tell you where God hangs out. Can I tell you where he doesn't hang out, I think? He doesn't hang out in the crowded, noisy, quick places of life. Very seldom do we find God there. God hangs out in the quiet spots of life. During the fast, during January, we do a fast every year, a 21-day fast. And what I'm noticing is this. I'm noticing that over the, like, three or four years that we've been doing it, that the emphasis on fasting has changed from food uh, to, to things. In other words, I, I heard more people this year, as a part of their fast, unplugging from stuff, uh, turning things off in order to hear God more quickly, more clearly. Some people turned off social media. Some people turned off phones. Some people turned off just the television or the noisy things of radio, noisy things of life in order to hear from God. Because God is often in the quiet places of life. The other day I was taking a drive, and it's going to be about a 35, 40-minute drive, and I did what I normally do when I get in the car. I pop the radio on. ESPN. That's how shallow I am. That's what I listen to. So, driving along, and, and I just got this urge inside. What if you popped the radio off and invited God along for the drive? Again, I understand. God is inside of me. He already is along for the drive. But how about I acknowledge that? We have some conversation. And so, I popped the radio off, and it got quiet, which was a little uncomfortable at first. Can I tell you this? If you're an introvert, and I'm challenging you to be a part of a, of a group, that's a challenge. You don't want to know any more people. You know plenty, and you don't like most of who you know. Okay, that's kind of how <laughs> introverts operate, okay? 
If you're an extrovert, the challenge is quiet, isn't it? You pop the, if nobody's talking, you've got to fill the space. Or you've got to turn something on that fills the space. So I turn the radio off, uncomfortable at first. Then I begin to talk to God. And you know what? In that car, I sensed the presence of God. I made room for God in a place where he was. At the end of the drive, rather than frazzle, it, there, was, there was peace and, and, and an energy. See, we try to squeeze God into the craziness of our lives, and we wonder why we don't experience his presence. And so what I want to do is I want to challenge you to make room. And then make an invitation. Go to the quiet places. Maybe it's a quiet chair. Maybe it's a quiet place. Maybe it's just a moment during the day. Maybe I know some people that even set little alarm clocks on their, on their phones at certain various times during the day. When the alarm goes off, they just take a 60-second God break or a two-minute God break just to go, God, I'm going to make space and make room for you. So the first thing I want to challenge you to do is make an invitation. Make room for God and invite him into the space. Here's the second thing the lady did. It's better to make room for God in community. It's better to make room for God in community. It's good to make room for God by yourself, but it's better in community. Here's what she did. She said to her husband, I'm sure this man of God who stops by from time to time is a holy man. Let's build a small room. Circle the word let's. As a husband, I know what that means. Yeah. Debbie will say, hey, you know, on a Friday or Saturday morning, hey, let's hang a picture. Let's, you know what that means. That means we have a picture that's been sitting around for a while. I don't think I can do this on my own. You have gifts. They are somewhat limited. But I need you at this point to come with me. I'll watch you hang the picture. That's what let's means. And I love it. It's fine. You know, if she just said, you go do it, and she did something else, I'd feel, you know, kind of whatever. But she's my cheerleader in doing that. Or she'll say, let's repurpose the closet today. That's a miserable job. <laughs> miserable. But when it's done in community, it can become a good thing. You know, it really can. Christianity is best done in community. In the Old Testament, our, our teacher last week, uh, Darren Patrick, did a great job with this, so I'm not going to kind of rehash some of the territory that he went over, but, but in the Old Testament, uh, it's not written to individuals. It's written to a people. It's written to a community of people. It's the story of God, and it's, 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 it's all about how we treat one another. I mean, you read the Ten Commandments, it's Half of them are how you treat God, half of them are how you treat one another. I'm uh, in my daily Bible reading right now. I'm in the book of Leviticus. Say Leviticus together. Leviticus. Some of you groan when you think about Leviticus. It's all about Levitical law. Listen, I dig it. I'm the kid who read encyclopedias uh, when I was growing up. If Wikipedia would have been around, I would have done anything but re read that. So I'm reading Levitical law, and it's what it is, it's all about Basically, how we approach God and how we treat one another. How we treat one another. Because Christianity or faith is a team sport. The New Testament, it's written to the church. It's not written to individuals. When you read it, you can take personal application. But basically, it's about how we live in community. In fact, there are at least 59 scriptures 
in the New Testament, they're commands that you cannot fulfill or obey by yourself. They're the one another commands. I've listed several of them on your outline sheet. Be at peace with one another. Fifteen times it says love one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Forgiving each other. Encourage one another daily. Now let me ask you a question. Where does that happen? Okay, who is it to? It's to the church. You're the church. Where does that happen? Does it happen on the weekend in a service like this? Not so much. I'm doing all the talking. You don't have time to encourage one another. You, know, you, you, you really can't support each other except in the parking lot by being nice to one another. Okay? Where does all of this happen? It happens when we live in community. It happens in smaller gatherings, smaller settings, when we really get to know each other, when we really practice the things that we're commanded to do. See, it happens when someone in your small group goes through one of the almost inevitable tragedies of life, and you all do it together. It's when a family loses a loved one, and nobody knows what to say. You never do. And yet, you all come through anyway. And you come together, and you cry together, and you share meals together. You walk through the darkest of times together. And on the other side, you share a bond that's a lifetime bond that you never could have dreamed. I've seen it happen many, many times. It happens when someone in your group admits that they're struggling with something, that they're so embarrassed. They don't even want to talk about that, but they can't keep it inside anymore. And that night at the group, they just said, yeah, this is what's going on with me. And then slowly, somebody else in the group says, you know, I've never really said this in public, but that's kind of, I deal with that too. And then somebody else says, let's make it three. And suddenly, they're not alone anymore. They, they, they find that they grow through it together. That's, that's Christianity. That's community. It happens when a member of the group gets their feelings hurt and either blows up in an uncomfortable way. Have you ever seen that happen? Maybe you're at work or maybe you're in a small group. You're studying God's Word and somebody gets their feelings hurt and they blow up or else they just walk out. You go, well, there's another statistic. No, they, the rest of the group decides we're not going to ignore it. We're going to press in. We're, we're, we're going to be different here. We're going to press in until we get a breakthrough. And they do, and they sense God's presence. They made space, and God filled it. It happens when the group learns to serve together, and, and uh, either in the community or in the church, they serve together. I, I can remember, uh, man, I wish we, we did this still. I know there are other expressions, of it, but when our church was smaller, uh, each small group took a turn at cleaning the church. We didn't pay people to clean the church. We all, we, each group, some of you were here then, took a turn to clean the church. And, and then we also uh, watched the crumb crunchers that weekend. And, uh, and uh, that's when we found out whether we were real men or not, whether we changed diapers. You know, you know what I'm saying? And, and I, I want to tell you something. Around a vacuum, when we were serving together, we'd do things that we wouldn't do normally by ourselves. And there was a sense of community. We laugh together. And we, we, uh, we, we just, it, it, there's just a, 
you, so you love together, and you somewhere along the way you realize that God is filling the space that you created for them. So for the next six weeks, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get an opportunity to make room for God in community. I'm asking you to get together with just a few friends. How many? Two or more. You know, for some of us, it might just be husband and wife or boyfriend, girlfriend. Or maybe it'll be a couple of buddies, whatever. Maybe it'll be three or four. If you're an extrovert, it'll be 35 to 40, okay? (laughs) Just get together. And what do you do? You make room for God. We're going to give you some curriculum uh, that um, hopefully will just give you a starting point, just a starting point. And over time... um, you're going to grow spiritually. And how are you going to grow? You're going to obey the one another commands. You're going to get a chance to love each other, accept each other, encourage each other, bear with one another, probably get an opportunity or two to forgive one another. And if you do it, if you'll stick with it, you'll experience God. Because anytime you make room for God, he'll feel it. And your life will be better and richer for it. So making, making room with God begins with an invitation best done in community. Let me give you one more. If you're going to make room for God, you may have to convert space that could be used for something else. Do you get that? If you're going to make room for God, you may have to convert space that could be used for something else. Let's see how they did it in the story. So she says to her husband, let's build a room for the man of God on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. And then he'll have a place to stay when he comes by. What's she describing? What's she describing? A frog. (laughs) Those of you in the South, you know what that is. I didn't know when I lived in Illinois. A frog is a family room over the garage. And that's basically what they're doing. She's building a room. She said, let's let's build a room on the roof for this guy. Now, there are going to be costs associated with it. You know, there's costs that we know about. Anytime you have a project, you you say, oh, I know what this is going to cost. It's going to cost this for material and labor and all this. But there are always hidden costs. How many of you know that? Whenever you buy something, do something, there's always hidden costs. And there were hidden costs to this. There was an inconvenience cost. In fact, we took a picture of the house. Did you know we have a picture of the house? Take a look at this. Well, actually, we didn't take a picture. Somebody drew a picture. But this is the kind of house that it probably was. And and uh, you've got, you know, there's the garage, which is actually, there there you've got the, uh, the mule, the donkey. That's what they ride. And and all of that, and then you've got a two-car garage there, and then, and then you've got a living space, okay? And then look it up on the roof. They had flat roofs, and here's what they do with the roof. The roof was for storage. Anybody relate to that? You've got an uh, attic that you cram stuff that you should have thrown away in, in the attic, right? Well, it was for storage. It also was for, uh, served practical purposes in that they would uh, dry, dry fruit up there. Um, and during the summertime, this must have been summer. There, there's some people up there kind of hanging out. Where there's a breeze, they would sleep and stuff. And if they build a room, they're going to have to convert space that could have been for something else. Maybe they could have made a video room, a TV room up there. I don't know. I thought that was funny. Obviously not at all. <laughs> that shows you where my humor goes to. But if you decide to make room for God, you may have to convert some space that could be used for something else, you know? Um, you, you, you may need to convert individually. It might be sleeping space. Maybe the only time that you can carve out room for God is when everybody else is asleep, and so you've got to get up a little bit earlier. Converting space. Uh, it may be 
that you've got to change, you know, like uh, several of you, praise God, you change your golf day. Some of you guys, I've heard guys say this all the time. I didn't come to church in years and started coming to here on, you know, came on an Easter or something. My wife or girlfriend or whatever dragged me here. I had an encounter with God, now I had to change my golf day. You know, I got, I got, every Sunday I had tea time and, you know, I feel real bad for you. But I, I think it's a great idea though. You know, you, you made space for God and God is filling it now. If you're going to make room for God in community, you might have to give up the bachelor in order to go to a group. Shouldn't be watching that disgusting garbage anyway. <laughs> make space. Now, why did, she, why did she go to the expense of converting that space? Why did she do that? She chose to build the room because of what might happen there. She thought, we might experience the presence of God. He's the holy man of God. We might learn something. He knows more than we do. We might find a friend. Here's what she didn't know, and we're going to find out in the weeks to come as we study this. She didn't know that she would receive a personal word from God in that room that would change her life. She didn't know that she would experience the loss of a loved one, and that she would bring her grief and her mourning to that room, and she would meet God there. She didn't realize that in that room, she would experience a miracle. And here's my prayer for you. My prayer is that over the next six weeks, that if you'll make room for God, that you will experience the presence of God in that room. That you will learn things that you didn't know about God. I'm believing that you're going to find friends that will help you to grow and to know God better. I believe that some of you will receive personal words that God will speak to you, maybe through a friend, maybe through something that's studied in that room that will literally change the course of your life. I know that some of you will experience the inevitable grief that life brings. This is not heaven. This is earth that we live in. And from time to time, things happen. And you're going to experience grief. And I believe that you will meet God and be comforted by others in that room. And many of you will experience miracles. You see, there's a promise in James 4 and verse 8 that says this, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you make space and make room for God, he promises that he will draw near to you. Here's what I know about this church and, and, and you. Many of you are already making room for God. You're gathering in the church on the weekends. You've made it a priority in your schedule Many of you come to a first Wednesday service because you don't want to miss time with the church together and experiencing God in a unique way. Many of you have carved out space in your daily schedule. I see you shaking your heads when I say, you know what, if, if you'll find a space, God will fill it. And you're going, I know, I, I experience it happening. Many of you are involved in small groups of community where you've learned to love people and care for people and you've made space for God and God is filling that space. And many of you are experiencing God's presence in some very, very cool ways. But some of you honestly don't have room right now. Your life feels like it's so full, you could not add anything 
to it. I can't imagine adding anything else to what I'm doing, at least in this season. I've got good news for you. In this scripture, this little lady didn't build, you know, like a huge add-on room. She said to her husband, she said, let's build a small room. It doesn't have to be big. If you'll just take the next step, just do something to make room for God, then God will fill it. And here's another truth. If you will, you'll be amazed at what God does with the little bit that you give him. In fact, Luke 6 and verse 38, I'd like us all to read this out loud. Those of you at the campuses, here in the Long Point Auditorium, other churches, can we read it out loud? Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You know, that's not just talking about money. In fact, the context is really not so much about money. It's this. Whatever you need, if you will give it to God, he will multiply it and give it back to you. If you need time, what do you do? Doesn't make sense, but if you will give God the first part of your time, then he will multiply it and he will give it back to you. If it's friends that you need, if you'll give your desire for relationships to God, he will multiply it and give it back to you. Whatever you need, you give to God, and God will multiply it. You make God first, and God will multiply it. I want to challenge you. Why don't you test him to see if it's true? You know, if, if you're uh, one of the ones here that you say, you know what, there's no way I can be a part of a make room group. I just don't have time in my life. You're my target today. Give it to God. Test him, challenge him. And if you'll do it, if you'll make room for God, he will fill the space with his presence in ways that you never could have dreamed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for our time together. I thank you for this wonderful church, this group of people who are making room for you today. And God, I pray that in the next few minutes that you would grace us with your presence, that there would be a sense of you just a sense of your presence and power in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.